Well, good morning and welcome once again to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. It is so good to be back with you guys. Um, as most of you know, I have not been up here for a few weeks now. Uh, Miss Gracie decided to make her appearance about five weeks early. Uh, so I was not able to be with you three weeks ago. And then we had a couple of guest speakers, so it is great to be back with you here this morning. I also want to take just a moment before we get started with our lesson to thank all of you for all of your prayers and your cards and your messages uh, while we were in the hospital and since we've been home. And the, the gifts that you guys have given us and the meals that you provided have just meant the world to Lizzie and I. And I truly uh, love each and every one of our church family, and we so greatly appreciate all that you guys have done for us uh, during this last, uh, I guess, three weeks now since Gracie made her appearance. And she is here with us this morning, so if you haven't had a chance to meet her yet, uh, you will probably have a chance to see her uh, immediately following services. She's back in the back with Lizzie. Um, so today we are talking about exceeding expectations. Now, I wanted to play that clip because I think it's a powerful clip. And I know that this story to most of you is probably a pretty familiar story. But what I want to do this morning is take a few minutes to unpack some of the different aspects of this story that sometimes we tend to gloss over. See, I think it's powerful sometimes to go back and look at the stories from the Bible, either from another angle or to really look at some of the details that we tend to. To, look, to overlook when we're reading these stories. Because, see, when you become familiar with things, you start to almost take them for granted. And we all kind of know this story, right? We, we kind of know how it ends. But I think what gets lost is some of the really important details and some of those things that we can take from this story and we can apply to our everyday lives. So let's jump in. When's the last time someone exceeded your expectations? Now, there's a line from a movie that goes something to this effect. It says, you can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed, but can you just be whelmed? <laughs> now, some of you will recognize uh, that quote, of course. Uh, I know it's a, a movie that my wife knows well. But, but let's think about that just for a moment. When is the last time somebody truly exceeded your expectations? See, expectations can be a funny thing. We tend to build things up in our mind, whether it's your upcoming vacation or whether it's an event that you're planning to attend or even if it's just a movie that you're going to see. We kind of build this up in our mind, right? That it's going to be or it's going to go a certain way. Well, as we know, life happens and oftentimes things don't go exactly according to the way we had planned. And one of two things is going to happen when that occurs. It's either going to exceed your expectations because that movie or whatever it was was so amazing that you just couldn't believe it. It was even better than you thought it would be. Or all of the good parts were in the previews. We've all had that happen, right? You see a preview for a movie and you go, that looks really funny. And it turns out all of the good jokes were in that little 90-second uh, preview. So in that case, our expectations were not met. <coughs> But what we want to look at this morning is as we look at this story, I want you to think about the different ways that we see expectations being exceeded throughout the story. Now, the obvious one is Jesus, of course, right? Jesus, throughout Scripture, exceeds our expectations. But I want you to look at some of the other examples in this story of how expectations are exceeded. So if you have your Bibles, or if you have your Bible app, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. 
And I like Luke's account of this story because, as we know, Luke was a physician, and Luke tended to be very detail-oriented with his accounts of some of these famous Bible stories. So that's what we're going to look at here this morning. We're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. <coughs> Excuse me. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So just to set our scene, right, because we need to understand what exactly it is that's going on, is Jesus is teaching in his house, and you saw the house in the video. And they didn't, didn't really show the interior a whole lot, but, but most of the accounts of the story says this was a very crowded situation, right? This was a very busy situation. This house was full. And these teachers of the law and these Pharisees had come from miles around because at this point they'd heard about this man named Jesus and they had heard about these amazing things that he was doing and they wanted to see it for themselves. Human curiosity, right? When you hear about something spectacular, what do you want to do? You want to see it for yourself. They wanted to see what is all the hype about could this man really exceed our expectations? <clears throat> As we move on to verse 18, it says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. So many good things here. So, so they try to bring this man to Jesus, right? And they can't even get in the door. Because people were so desperate to hear and to see Jesus that they had filled this house completely. You couldn't even get in. It was standing room only. But these men knew that they needed to get their friend to Jesus. They knew that if they could just get their friend to be in the presence of Jesus, that Jesus could heal him. It says, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd... They went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Let's think about that for just a moment. They faced a lot of obstacles. They faced a lot of obstacles in getting their friend to Jesus. And these are just a few of the obstacles that they faced. First of all, I'm sure they had to convince this guy, right? hey, here's what we're going to do, all right? We're going to wrap you up and put you in this kind of makeshift sling, and then we're going to carry you up on the roof, and then we're going to make this pulley system. We're just going to kind of lower you down into the middle of the house. Think about that if that was you. And I said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you on this mat, and I'm going to tie you up with these ropes, and I'm going to lower you through the middle of the sanctuary roof. You'd probably be like, eh, I'm not so sure about that. They had to overcome the obstacle of the full house. See, they very easily could have just said, ah, sorry, bro, we would love to get you to this man who could potentially heal you, but, you know, it's kind of full. I can't, I can't get in there. Sorry, it's just not going to happen today. Maybe next week. They had to find a way to get their friend to Jesus. See, they didn't let the obstacles stop them. And then they had to remove the roof. Now, I don't know if you caught it in the video or not, but I love the fact that when they start tearing up, up the roof, uh, assuming the owner of the house looks up and goes, hey, that's my roof. 
For those of you who are homeowners, you'd probably be the same way, right? Somebody starts cutting holes in your roof, you're like, oh, whoa, 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 what are you doing? But see, they didn't let that stop them from exceeding the expectations of getting this man to Jesus. They didn't let all of these obstacles stop them. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. When we think about our own lives, and when we think about the fact that we know that we have friends and we have loved ones, and we have people that need to meet Jesus, but there's always a reason that we can't do that. I'm afraid to talk to people about Jesus because I don't know enough. I'm afraid to talk to people about Jesus because I'm not perfect. I'm afraid to talk to people about Jesus because I'm afraid of what they might think of me. We can come up with a list that goes on and on and on of the reasons that we don't get people to Jesus. But look at what these men did. And I think that this this example is in the Bible for a reason. Because we know that every example in the Bible is there for a reason, of course. But look at the lengths that these men went through to get this man to Jesus. But yet, we're not willing to send a text message to invite someone to church. We're not willing to send an email to invite someone to church. We're not willing to offer to pray with someone because we're so worried about what people might think. What do you think people thought of these guys? They're probably like, you guys are crazy. What are you doing? And then they start cutting holes in the roof. And then everybody's like, what are you doing? But these men knew that if they could just get this paralyzed man to Jesus, that he can and will heal him. The faith that they had. The faith that they had to say, look, we're going to do whatever it takes to get him to Jesus. Do we have that same that same fortitude? Do we have that same mentality? that We're willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. I hope that we do. But oftentimes I feel like we have obstacles. And we let those stop us from accomplishing our task. Now here's something that I find a little bit ironic in this story. We know that the people who had crowded into this house were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Did that ever strike you as you're reading the story? The very people that should have been encouraging people to know the word were the very people stopping them from getting to Jesus. What do we call that in the Bible? We call that a stumbling block. We call that a stumbling block. The very people that should have been saying, hey, let me get out of the way. Let me get out of your way to get you to Jesus were the same ones standing in the way. I want to take just a moment. We're going to take a little side journey, and we're going to look at what the Bible says about being a stumbling block. Romans chapter 14. Romans has a lot to say about stumbling blocks. Romans chapter 14, verse 13 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. And this is specifically talking about not judging people, not making people feel like they're not good enough, not making people feel like they can't come to Jesus. But it very clearly says, do not be a stumbling block. Still in Romans chapter 14, jump down to verse 21. It says, it is not good to eat the meat or drink the wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. 
Now, we know this passage is talking about the food laws and, and not doing things that would cause someone else to, to feel uncomfortable or to cause someone else to not want to follow Jesus. And he's saying, look, instead of doing that, just don't do it yourself. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't get in people's way. 2 Corinthians 6, 3 says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had created a stumbling block. They had made it more difficult to get to Jesus. We got to be careful that we're not a stumbling block. We, We need to be encouraging people to see and to feel the love of Jesus, not making it harder for them. We don't judge people. We don't say, hey, you don't look the way I look. You don't act the way I act. You don't worship the way I worship. So therefore, you you can't come with me to church. You've made too many sins. You've done too many wrong things. You can't come to Jesus. That's a stumbling block. Instead, we need to invite everyone to experience the love of Christ. And we need to make sure that like they should have done in our story, that we're not getting in the way. That we're stepping back and helping people get to see Jesus. So the dichotomy here is you've got the friends who are willing to cut a hole in the roof. They're willing to carry this man up the ladder onto a roof. They're willing to cut a hole in the roof to get this man. Chapter 5. It says when Jesus saw their faith. Their faith. Faith. The faith of these friends who were going to unbelievable lengths to get this man to Jesus. And he says, because of that, what is he saying? He says, friends, your sins are equal. See, there was friction involved in this story. Right? There was friction involved. There was lots of moving pieces and there's lots of friction. And as we continue our story, we're going to see even more friction. But friction is such a key concept we don't even think about. So friction. Friction is such a key concept because things don't move without friction. If I stand here with my foot in the air, I'm not going anywhere. But what happens when I put my foot down and I create friction between my foot and the floor? I start moving forward. We have some car guys in our midst. What what happens if you put the car up on a lift and you put it in drive and you hit the gas pedal? The wheels will just start spinning, right? But is that car going anywhere? Nope. But what happens when you put that car on the ground and it starts making friction with the ground? The car moves. How do brakes work? Brakes work by friction. They create friction to stop the vehicle. But it takes that friction for the action to occur. See, these men had to work to get their friend to Jesus. There was friction involved. It wasn't easy for them. And as we're getting ready to see in our story, we're going to see even more friction. Because what happens as soon as Jesus starts doing his thing, people start asking questions. Verse 22 says, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked. See, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Because, see, Jesus is amazing, and he's all-knowing, and he's all-present. And he knew what they were thinking. He knew what was going on in their minds. It says, he knew what they were thinking. It says, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Now, put yourself in their position for just a second, though. Wait a minute. He knows my thoughts? 
he knew. He knew what they were thinking. And he called him out. See, here's the friction. Here, here's the friction. Jesus says, hey, I know what you're thinking. Why are you thinking that? It says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? It says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. See, he's saying, look, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking only God can forgive sins, but hey, right here, and I'm doing it, and I'm forgiving sins. See, when friction happens, something has to give. See, when friction happens, we see people's true selves come out. Jesus was facing friction, but he knew how to answer the question because he was prepared. See, we see, through, we see throughout Scripture that Jesus spends quiet time. He spends time in prayer, and he spends time in preparation. So that when that friction happens, he's ready. And we see his true self come out. It says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Now, do you notice the order of things here? What did Jesus do first? He forgave him of his sins. And then what was secondary? Physical. Did you ever stop and think about that? There's no accident there. He forgave his sins first, and then he took care of the physical needs. He could have very easily just said, your sins are forgiven. Have a great day. Right? Because if he's in the right place, is he forgiven of his sins? If he's in good standing with Jesus, can he go to heaven when he's paralyzed? Of course he can. There's nothing that says you can't be paralyzed and get into heaven. But if he didn't take care of that first, if his sins weren't forgiven, he's not going to make it to heaven. So see, Jesus knows this, and he sets the president, you got to take care of your spiritual first. And he forgave him of his sins. Now, when you think about this story, when, he, when Jesus first says, your sins are forgiven, what do you think was going through his mind? What do you think was going through his friend's mind? His friends who had just gone through a lot of work to get him there. What do you think was going through their minds when Jesus, instead of healing him, said, your sins are forgiven? Do you think they might have been like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's not what I asked for. That's not what we brought him here for. We didn't bring him here for forgiveness of sins. We brought him here so you could heal him and he could get up and walk. See, we do the same thing sometimes, right? We, we pray for things that we want, that we selfishly want, and we don't always get what we want. And sometimes we go, whoa, 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 God, what happened? That's not what I asked you for. But see, God knows. He knows what we need. And he knows that our spiritual takes priority. So he healed him. He forgave him of his sins. And then he healed him of his physical ailments. 25 says, immediately he stood up in front of them and he took what he had been laying on and he went home praising God. He went home praising God. Do we remember that step? When we pray for things, when we ask for things and God answers, do we always remember to close the loop and say, thank you, Lord? Do we remember to give credit where credit is due? This man sure did. 
And we don't know for sure how long he'd been paralyzed. I know the video said since he was a child, but I'm not sure that we know that for a fact. But this man came to Jesus, and Jesus forgave him of his sins, and he healed him, and he allowed him to walk out the door. He exceeded everyone's expectations. You saw in the video, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to play the video for you, that when he healed him, did you see the looks on everybody's faces? They weren't expecting that. They weren't expecting this man to be able to not only forgive him of his sins, but to, forgive, to, to heal all of his physical ailments. This is one of my favorite quotes, and some of you will recognize this. It's from Zig Ziglar, who, who has who has passed now, but he was one of my favorite motivational speakers. He was a man of faith, and it says, you can have everything in life that you want if you just give enough other people what they want. You can have everything you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. Now, see, the, the, the friends, they got that. The, the friends understood that. The friends were going out of their way to give somebody else what they wanted. And I love this quote because it, it, it just reminds us to not be selfish. Now, I want to focus as we get ready to close. I want to focus on this idea of these friends. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. So I'm going to jump into the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I want to look at what it says about this idea of friendship and relationships. It says, two are better than one. It says, because they have a good reward for their toil. It says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Verse 11 says, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? It says, and though a man might prevail against the one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Do you have people like this in your life? Do you have people in your life that are willing to, to, to drag you up a ladder and cut a hole in the floor? Are you that friend? Are you that friend that is doing everything in your power to get your friends and your family and your coworkers and your children to Jesus? Are you exceeding expectations? Or are you just whelmed? Are we just going with the flow? Are we just doing our own thing? Are we exceeding expectations and helping others get to Jesus? So here's the things I want you to remember. Here's the things I want you to take, take with you today, and that's that we got to work together. The passage from Ecclesiastes says a, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And of course, it's talking to how ropes, you know, ropes are braided, right? Because if they're just one little string, they're pretty easy to break. But when you take those three and you twist them and you tie them together, so we got to work together. We got to work together to get ourselves to Jesus and to get our friends and our family and our loved ones to Jesus. We got to be willing to take the roof off. And of course, what I mean by that is we got to be willing to think outside the box. We got to be willing to go the extra mile. We got to be willing to do whatever it takes 
to get people to Jesus. That's our job as Christians. That's our calling as Christians. You don't have to be a minister. You don't have to be a teacher. It's all of our jobs to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to know who God is. We need to know who God is. We see throughout this story the way that God was working and the things that God was doing and and the way that God orchestrated this. And we even got a glimpse into some of the things, like the fact that he knew what they were thinking. we got to know who God is. And if you don't know where God is, he was nice enough to provide us with a book that tells you exactly who he is. All you got to do is open it. We got to exceed expectations and we got to embrace the friction. See, there's going to be friction. When you decide, you know what? I like that story and I'm going to do the same thing. There's going to be friction. Do you think that everybody you go to is just going to to welcome that conversation with open arms? I'd love to hear about Jesus. You might get some of those. Those are the fun ones, right? But you very well may get, you know what? I don't want anything to do with the church and I don't want anything to do with the Bible and I don't want anything to do with that Jesus fella. See, that's where the friction comes in. But with friction, we get motion. We've got to embrace the friction. We've got to embrace the fact that, that, that at least they're giving you something to work with. You know, I, I used to work in sales for a very long time before I went into full-time ministry. And they, they call in sales, they call it an objection, right? Say, hey, I want you to buy my insurance. And they say, ah, price is too high. Perfect. You gave me something to work with. You gave me something that I can address. As opposed to just saying, no, I have no idea what I say next. When you go to talk to people about Jesus and they give you these reasons, right? I don't want to go to church. Church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. They're giving you, they're opening a door. They're giving you something that you can talk about. They're giving you a reason to continue to try to get them up on the roof to cut that hole and to lower him to Jesus. But we got to embrace that. We got to be willing to embrace that. You know, this morning, maybe you've never had a chance to, to give your life to Jesus. Maybe no one, no one has ever brought you to that rooftop. Nobody's cut the hole and nobody has brought you to Jesus. You have an opportunity to do that this morning. You can come, you can, you can express your faith. You can be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you can leave here this morning in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've been a Christian your whole life. Maybe you've been a Christian your whole life, but, 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 but life has just happened. And you've lost that drive and that, and that fever and that passion that you have to get people to Christ. If we can help you with that in any way, we would love for you to come forward this morning. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. I'm going to ask our elders to come down forward. I'm going to ask Brandon to come up and lead us in another song. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me.
Still your love fought for me